You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lip from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me tonight is my legendary and ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good, man. Bro, that was uh, a good intro. Sorry, what? I ripped that intro. Yeah, in terms of what? Like you? I did a good job on it. You did? I'm you just, think so? I'm patting myself on the back for the intro before you're allowed for, to talk. For the intro? Okay. Yeah, you right. chimed you in trying what? to say something, and I patted myself on the back real quick there. Yeah, I'm feeling the love, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, legendary, ever faithful I am mm-hmm. uh, for putting up with that crap. Yeah. But <laughs> n- nonetheless, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i having a pretty good night. It's uh, And, and loving, loving life. Uh, at least in the Runeterra sphere, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with Runeterra. I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, and, and, you know, anyone who's listened to our podcast knows that we never shy away from giving our honest, open feedback and criticism uh, just as much as we're willing yes, to yes. compliment it. Mm-hmm. But it should be stated before this episode even airs. I'm having a lot of fun and I'm playing it a lot. Like I'm putting a lot of hours in, you know, playing all sorts of game modes too. Like it's not just one thing. I'm I'm all over the place. I kind I kind of am having the best situation where when I log on, I don't know what to do first, and that's kind of a cool feeling. I uh, I have a new card game in my life. I have oh, a you do? I have a new card game in my life. It's a physical. It's a paper card game. They're yeah, higher. They make those still? Yeah, they're higher grade than paper cards, <laughs> though. They're a little bit nicer. It mm-hmm. is a Fantasy Flight LCG that has entered my life. Um, I uh, I went out yesterday and I picked up uh, the base box um, and a hero expansion for Marvel Champions. Um, uh, yeah, I've seen this a lot. Which is the new-ish, like a year old maybe, Fantasy Flight Marvel uh, LCG. So it's very similar to Lord of the Rings LCG and the, I think it's closer to the Arkham Horror LCG. Like the they did like an Eldritch Horror Arkham Horror L, uh, LCG. So in it, it's basically you get a character that has 15 cards. So, you know, like I think the base box comes with like Iron Man, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, um, Black Panther, and She-Hulk are like the the starting characters that you get in the box. That has 15 cards, and then you choose an attribute to fill in your deck with between like leadership, protection, aggression, and uh, and loyalty or justice justice it's justice and then uh and then from there you flesh out your deck to 40 cards with basic kind of like not always great cards it seems really interesting so you and your friends each grab a hero you make up your deck and then you go up against a boss and basically the boss just comes out and and he he can be at varying difficulty levels you can make him more difficult by sort of like adding additional threats and additional plot twists into his deck Um, and you take your turns beating up on him you got to knock him out three times sort of like assembling uh, allies and equipment and like special abilities and superpowers on your character Um, you have to knock him out three times before he he fills up his like diabolic plot um, with threat tokens and 
and uh, and so I haven't actually gotten to play it yet because I bought it yesterday, brought it home, unboxed it, organized it, looked at the other, you know, $450 that I can already spend on the game if I so mm. choose uh, because it is made by Fantasy Flight and I want to spend it. I want I, I want to go buy more stuff for it. Um, yeah. And then today was so busy, I just had no opportunity to get to it. Um, but it is, you can play it solo, a lot of like the Lord of the Rings LCG. Um, I don't yeah. think either of these are very much like the L5R LCG, which I think is more of a competitive LCG. It was a competitive game. Yeah, yeah there was, wasn't like a, a yeah. like this is a cooperative and solo Lowable game, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm gonna be checking it out. So it's not, it's probably not gonna eclipse my love for uh, because I can't play it as often as Runeterra, but I, I did want to talk about it because super pumped about it. Uh, want to pick up, I think this, there's a Scarlet Witch pack, um, simply because WandaVision has recently been on, and my wife and I just finished it, and I think she'll play Scarlet Witch if I pick it up for her. Very oh, um, good. So I want to pick up that. I picked up uh, the hero pack that I picked up was Doctor Strange. Um, I was like between Hulk, Captain America, and Doctor Strange. And if I like it, I probably get the other ones anyway. But I was like, Doctor Strange just seems like he would probably be, he would probably play like unique to what the other yeah, characters do. To the other ones. And yeah. And so I was like, I kind of want to try out him because I, I think he'll be a little different than like, if I get, if I get Hulk, what's the difference between Hulk and She-Hulk, right? If I get, if I get uh, Captain America, is there a huge difference between him and probably some of the attributes of Spider-Man and Iron Man? Hey, probably There's not, a huge right? difference. Well, there's a big difference, but like in card game world, like, will they feel super different? Probably not super different, but I guarantee you that uh, the Doctor Strange will feel very different than some of those other characters. So I don't know. I I have found that the uh, FFG does a pretty good job of distinguishing their um, kind of their card games, like in terms yeah. of like uh, the the thematics of it. They tend to do a pretty good job of that. Uh, even if I'm slightly peeved at them for how L5R went. Uh, they're it's a good game company the only the only concern i ever had with ffg is not if they're going to have a a good product but rather if they're going to make smart decisions that would enable that product to last long term that's always my concern i feel like their their marketing model is their distribution model is just very poor um so it, it you know i would never play another competitive like game that they printed i would play pve games or whatever you know like, sure. like co-op games for sure like that's why i love um the lord of the rings uh, lord of the rings of but like Marvel game, yeah. like i i tried out game of thrones because they did that yes it was uh, a fun, it was a fun game but you know i i that came out shortly before uh l5r came out and so as soon as l5r came out i stopped getting game of thrones stuff yeah sure and l5r is a better game like no doubt but it's one of those things where like i would never even if i now that l5r is dead I would never get into Game of Thrones if only because I would be concerned that they I would waste my time and money yeah, and they'd stop supporting cards. it, you know, and you can't, you can't play L5R against yourself and have a whole, not have a lot of fun, you know? Well, so, but like, luckily the, there's some redeeming value. <laughs> well, you could, but I, I don't like, I can't play against myself. I just can't do it. Like, it is terrible. I, it's I, a terrible experience. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And so, I mean, some people can and like be like stupid objective, but then you're just doing the math. You're just, it just becomes a math problem uh, to see which one would win with the best math, you know? But like for me, I'm just like, yeah, no, I'll I'll just, I like to not know what the others, you know, side has because if I do, whether I want to or not, I will let it subconsciously 
direct how things go. But that, that's neither here nor there. We've talked about FFGs card games way too much for a runeterra podcast already yes i had to bring um, it up though because i'm excited i mean it, it's a card game i'm excited about you it. know what this is the banter segment yeah, and i'm pretty sure 90 percent of things go when it comes to banter yeah. so like you know they're like it's yeah it's the, our banter segment darn it and, and we're gonna exercise that to the fullest ability and if you're a patreon supporter quick plug for our patreon patreon.com slash legends cast um you are going to get episode of the mulligan at the same time that this episode mm-hmm. releases and in that episode we're going to talk about our top five or three favorite movies um in the marvel cinematic universe so i was like yep, man yep, that's yep. kind of the bridge between two worlds card games marvel card game uh the mulligan the main show it's kind of like a bridge so if you want to support us go over to uh patreon.com slash legends cast i just want to give a, a special shout out to uh brayden b uh brayden b thank you for supporting us over at patreon.com he is our latest yeah, patreon yeah. supporter brayden i have no clue if you're in our discord and if you are who you are so if you are you have to message me back on patreon or at least shoot me a message in discord and be like hey i'm brayden b so we can give you the patron tag uh that way you can actually see the patron chat and get an idea about what we're going to be doing and give us suggestions for our mulligan episode episodes which our patreon supporters do get access to no matter how much you pledge to us each month you do get access to uh to that over there so thank you to all of our patreon supporters um back now finally to conversation about the game that this podcast is about which is uh which is legends of Rutera. i played some this week man i and i know you you said you're playing a lot i have a deck list from you that i haven't actually had a chance to play yet and i do want to talk about it in a minute but i've been playing expeditions uh had some really good games uh last week because this is the second time we're recording on a monday night because we're we're, we changed our recording day and our release day Mm -hmm. uh last week the second time we're doing that um had a couple of live streams last week that went really really well and then uh today not so great so uh mostly because i was just i was more focused on streaming i think today (laughs) that's hard it's hard to be focused like to remain engaging to your stream and also to not make horrible mistakes um (laughs) now like all of my time watching hearthstone streams and having chat scream lethal and the streamer miss it um and then get frustrated the chat i understand it now because when you're streaming there's so many things to focus on there is a tremendous amount of things going through your brain and a lot of times it isn't like mathing out like oh do they have lethal here before i push pass um and it's not always super engaging to just hear somebody mentally check through the boxes and and add up some math and make sure that they're not dead so i died a couple of times uh this morning in expeditions i just was not a hundred percent uh cognizant i think that was also because of the time change that we had this weekend and i slept on the couch last night and so uh not because i was in trouble but because my one-year-old was in my bed um and i'm not trying to sleep there with her and so i slept on the couch last night woke up really not in the best frame of mind for playing a really cerebral game probably not in the best frame of mind to be playing any game uh to be perfectly honest with you but certainly not a card game uh so got trashed on a little bit this morning but tell me about this deck because i think that you found like a sleeper pick here man this this sleeper deck that you have let's hear about it well so i can't take credit really i mean i can take credit for this being my version of it you know but i was like directed or redirected by a couple people who uh like three or four sources both reading and also some people posting different things saying hey braun vlad's you know really likes ice shard you know and so i was like oh it does does it well let me let me take a look because i played a lot of braun uh vlad and just scar grounds vlad uh right after scar grounds came out it was a blast 
but um i think that i was um i definitely and i even said this last week i think i undervalued crimson blood letter and then i think i um uh, you know wasn't really sure how valuable ice shard would be but um just taking another look at it it's a combination of two things um but this Braum Vlad list that I've kind of put together and and have honed to my preference, it hasn't lost yet, and it's close to about fifteen games. That's and that's a lot I, of games to not lose. Yeah, hundred you know, percent win rate. You heard it here, guys. So far for me, you know. Um, but as soon as it gets, so, as soon as the deck gets to ten and zero, I start looking at it like, okay, this deck actually probably is pretty good. I'm sometimes those, you can fluke win a few stats, in a row. But I'm sending those stats, the Hunter X, Hunter X, or whatever his name was. <laughs> well, remember last episode, the stats right. that we looked at were all. From, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna send him to that guy. He can post it. Hundred percent win rate. That's right. Hundred percent win rate. Yeah. Hundred percent. No, um, it, it's a, uh, it's a cool list, and what it is, I think it, it does. Uh, it's flexible. While people are are ironing out their lists and trying to figure out what they want to, you know, what the numbers of things are, this deck can really exploit any amount of like inefficiency. Ooh. I think it also has answers to almost everything. Plenty of has, inefficiency out there, and it's just it's um it can really bully a lot of the things that people are be are forced to play around without compromising tech slots. So like it does really really well against a lot of the um like so like TF fizz. It's it seemed in my experience to do very well because you can just apply a lot of pressure and then not be punished too hard by like small damage pings. Um, you know, you have ways to if you get Braum, you can go and, and pull TF or something over to him and then buff Braum. You know, you also have like with ice shards and whatnot, you can kind of whirlwind him while he's on the bench. But you also are just putting them in positions to be forced to defend, or else that not only do your things you know, deal damage, but they're growing all along the way. And so it's just, it's done very well for me. Um, the closest games I've had have been against uh, control lists, but I've still managed to eke out wins, usually thanks to Vlad and Scarmother Vrena, who has become a powerhouse in this list with the increased efficiency of the Crimson Blood Letter. Um, being able to put a Crimson Blood Letter down a turn before dropping, like, uh, Braum or Scarmother Vrenna or Crimson Curator has really just enabled you to more consistently proc whatever ability is before your opponent has a chance to interact with it. So nobody, no opponent's really going to want to screw with your little one mana one two. Like they, they don't want to mess with it. It's going to be a waste of their mana if they do. But if they don't, sure. you can really make sure something that you care about, like getting Braum down on your attack and instantly getting the Mighty Poro out. And if you already have scar grounds out, you're really happy. So like, there's just a lot of um, kind of one-two punches Bloodletter can do. And if you get them on one, great. Drop a uh, unscarred Reaver or a Crimson Disciple the next turn, and and immediately start pushing damage. You know, um, Crimson Curator in particular has been weirdly like the MVP of the deck, even though he's been around for forever. I mean, obviously at one point he was a three-two. Thank goodness he's a three-three, but. Um, I've been able to just constantly keep my hand full. Nobody really wants to spend too much time dealing with this guy, but you kind of have to. And with ice shards in there now being another way to kind of uh, damage him and get value before he drops, sometimes he'll generate copies of himself or just other other cards and just making sure you can constantly spend your mana, put pressure on, and you know take your time uh, whittling down the opponent without risk of having to go all in 
and they can wipe your board. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's super mid-rangey. It's just, it's one of the most enjoyable decks I've played in a long time. And it's also funny because Braum Vlad was the literal first deck I ever built in sure. Runeterra. Bleed for so I, it's something. Yeah, it's something <laughs> I, I keep back. coming back to. Yeah, episode one of season two was labeled Bleed for Braum uh, that came out approximately about a year ago. Am I right? Is that Yeah, it was uh, like February, two, I think. Wait, two or... years ago? Was it two years ago? I cannot, I can't. It's it, a year. It was a year. It was a year ago. Okay, yeah. wow. It seems yeah, like yeah. a lot longer than that uh, in some ways. Well, because we've been doing the podcast for over a year and a half. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know. uh, yeah, coming up on two years, this upcoming June. Mm-hmm actually uh only mm-hmm. only a couple months away from our two-year anniversary which is kind of crazy never thought i would be pot doing legends cast this long that's absolutely for sure um yeah so this is a deck that i want to check out and i want to play i haven't had um a lot of great opportunities to actually um to actually play what is that noise it's a uh, low-flying fighter jet Ooh. They're not supposed to be flying this low or at this time of night. But How they do dare it. they? Well, that's fine. That's fine. Well, now all the listeners know exactly what it was. Um, I, I really yeah. want to play this deck. I have not had a lot of time to actually play LOR off of stream, which means I've primarily been playing, like I said, Expeditions. Um, but this is a deck that I do really want to try because I've I've played very little Vlad. In, I don't know that I've ever actually played Vlad and Constructed. Um, I played very little Braum, uh, probably only in a handful of decks Constructed right after he got buffed and then re-nerfed um, back down to where, you know, basically how he was before. I guess stronger because you get a 3-3-4 right off the top. Oh, that's the, that's the yeah, biggest that, part. That that was the but biggest part. But the, the one, one attack, attack was so so bonkers for yeah, a while. It was really, really it. good. I actually really loved that that particular meta. I actually really loved. Yeah. I didn't um, like when they reverted it. I, I loved the Brahma Nivea. Uh, I mean, it was two champs that weren't played before, and then all of a sudden they're played. Like, that was dope. That was so cool. They actually reacted to that really strongly, which takes us into maybe our next segment. We would typically do deck name game. I know there's been a ton of submissions for deck name game, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for submitting stuff to deck name game. We really appreciate you. Um, however, tonight, we're just going to move on and talk about, uh, in our in our big segment, we're going to talk about the four, what we see as five. being five, sorry, five potential most problematic decks in LOR today and what we would do to change them. And our goal, our goal is to, how can we put a positive spin on uh and what at the the sort of the competitive or more hardcore community has kind of seen as a a strong negative thing the last uh the last week week and a half something like that um Mm -hmm. with the release of uh the the new new expansion so let's go ahead and jump over let's jump into our main segment for this evening time for the main event Okay, guys, once again, we're going to be taking a look at the five decks that we're seeing as being what are potentially the most problematic problematic five decks. And uh, spoiler, many of them are very similar or the same as the, the decks that were problematic before um, the latest expansion came out and we got the Sarima set um, given to us. Now, I think maybe that's maybe the place we should start our conversation at DBN because I think this is really sort of the salt in the wound as the most powerful top tier, you know, top of the ladder decks remain the same as they were, you know, just a couple of 
uh, really just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I know that you and I haven't necessarily had that same experience. We're not playing the top of ladder. But this brings us back to that same conversation we've had, which is, is this release schedule what is healthiest and best for the game? Does it mix it up enough? Well, I think that... Um, I think think what we're seeing is uh, this infusion of cards this Serima uh, expansion has been great for the game overall you know even the content creators that are a little bit uh we'll say jaded with the competitive scene and the you know the uh potential lack of balance in some of the decks um even them seem to have had very positive responses to the Sharima cards uh and the faction and the theme and so they did a great job with the expansion I really do believe that. I think that what we are seeing from a lot of content creators, especially the ones that are very immersed in the competitive scene, is burnout from the things that have remained for a long time, combined with some of the unintentionally unfun interactions that came out, as with any expansion, tends to occur just when the hive mind of players get together and break something, right? Um, so... Uh, we've talked at length about concurrent timelines and Ladros the last two weeks. We don't really need to spend too much time talking about that. But because I like groupings of five, uh, we have we a top like five. Yep. We have five decks that we wanted to address and how we think we should change them. And I'll just start with the concurrent timelines and Ladros uh, one because we can do it quickly. Sure. Um, last week, we challenged our listeners to give us their recommendation for how to change the Dreadway, which was my personal take on the best, potentially the best way, or the way I'd like to see this interaction between concurrent timelines, Ladros, into uh, a 60% uh, chance of hitting Dreadway for an instant OTK that's not interactable outside of like deny and write. Yeah, and so for, um, if, for example, if you don't know what we're talking about, the Timelines card is a new PNZ card. I believe it's one mana. For the rest of the game, the, f the first creature you play each game or each round um, gets transformed into something of equal mana cost. So if you play Ladros, he gets a skill off, deals half damage to the Nexus. He transforms into a nine cost. You have a 60-some percent chance of hitting the Dreadway, which doubles the damage dealt by skills and spells, which means it's a one-turn kill with those two cards sort of at the end of the game. A very low skill needed uh to be able to pull off that combo uh play this one mana card play this nine minute card 60 percent chance of winning the game and hope they can't stop your skill is really all that it is so why don't you go ahead uh dbn and tell me what we came up with because there were some people who came out of the discord and said hey let's let's change jet dreadway this way or that way and i thought there was some pretty smart stuff that came out of it actually. yeah yeah there was a there was kind of a, a tag team uh in there between tower hat shaman and chris engel who both kind of came up with uh, similar and, and kind of expanded on uh, versions of a great idea. Um, so Tower Chaman suggested that for the Dreadway, instead of giving double damage to everything, it would grant your barrels the unyielding spirit buff, as does, you know, the meme uh, keg, unyielding kegs deck, would give your keg stack um, the, un and, you know, the ability to never die, right? Yeah. So you uh, so use, use popularized, still... I think, the the meme list right yeah um and so his suggestion was it would keep the theme of working with bilgewater and link up gangplank while boosting barrel synergy not really top tier thing but thematically feels like a fit and then chris engel came in and built off of that with a great idea of saying dreadway could play could make a barrel 
and then all barrels on board and created will be stacked onto the dreadway instead of having their own slot on the board. So your dreadway, you can store all of your powder kegs on the ship yep. instead uh-huh. of on the board. Um, and, uh, you know, you could do any sorts of things. You could maybe they, you know, wouldn't be consumed uh, or they'd be consumed less or maybe you get generate one every turn. doesn't matter. But the idea of instead of your... Uh, barrels being able to be taken uh taking up space one but also being able to pulled over and giving free overwhelm damage to the opponent um now you can keep them on your big ship and then you when you use them you use them and maybe you build them back up but you're able to kind of protect them behind a body and kind of consolidate your board space i thought those two kind of building off of each other was a really brilliant idea and a super flavorful rework and that's what we were talking about there's numerous ways you could fix the problem easily We were just thinking what would be the best solution, not necessarily the easiest and quickest solution. The easiest and quickest solution would be taking Dreadway down to, you know, eight mana. Or taking Lagos up to ten. You know, or taking Lagos down to eight, but they'd never do that. You know, like you could just do a single mana point adjustment and the problem would never come up again. Yep. Which is I mean, probably the adjustment we're going to see, right? Like, almost I, certainly. I think we both look at this and say, okay, this is the type of thing that maybe it was an oversight, maybe it wasn't an oversight. I mean, I think I would think that it I was, think it was an, an oversight. oversight because, I mean, they could have run the numbers easily and said, oh, there's a 60 some percent chance of an OTK here. That's probably not good. Let's not do that. Um, and so I think it was just an oversight, hive mind mentality there, sort of picked it up and broke it. Um, and that's a problem. And I, don't, I think they're going to change it. It's probably a mana change, right? Yeah, and again, I don't I'm not I'm not sold that this is an actually powerful deck long term. I think it's just an annoying one that nobody wants to lose to. Right. I get that. Um I and it's that. also encouraging people to play, you know, a play style similar to what we saw with like um Vi and Elise with Karina or just Karina control is not a particularly enjoyable archetype to have in the game. Kind of reminded me of uh of um hard control tribunal and and tessel where it's just like your opponent plays things you kill those things nothing really happens for nine turns right and then you win Um, the game yeah (laughs) and then you lose the game but theoretically or they run out of removal and then you win the game but it doesn't matter because you're still frustrated from the first five or six turns where you literally got to do no board interaction which i think is the most enjoyable part of this game so i think dissuading i mean those tools will always exist as long as that there is a reliable kind of finishing option for them and i think that my ideal world would have that like super hard control like no fun uh allowed removal base that would never be good in my ideal world. Hmm. You would, you know, you would want to encourage people to play things on board in conjunction with removal. That would be my ideal world. Um, but regardless, um, so that that's you know concurrent timelines, Lajos. Um, the next one I think is the most important one, and so we'll do this Whoa. one next because this is. Hang on. Oh, sorry. You didn't let oh, me did tell you, have you another... my idea about Dreadway. Oh, I didn't know we were sourcing your ideas. I have an idea about Dreadway. Okay, okay, let's hear it. Okay, first off, I'm I'm 100% on board with dropping Dreadway's cost because I want to see that card see more play. So first off, I want it to be on record. I'm fine. Dreadway, I think my Dreadway is eight mana. It has the same stats. It still tutors a gangplank into your hand. And then it reads, at the start of each round, either create a powder keg 
or do two damage to any enemy. So basically what you can do is you can be loading up the guns with powder or you can shoot the gun at one of your enemies. So each turn the ship's either loading up with power or shooting an enemy. So it has the ability to sort of build up the, the, the kegs if you want to build up the keg for something big, but it also has the ability um, to, to sort of work with Gangplank or it has the ability to sort of like control the board towards the end of the game and just begin yeah, more like, like Leviathan. Uh, yeah, just begin like sort of plinking away and damaging and killing off either your enemy's problematic creatures with low enough health or shooting it your enemy's health total each round and sort of putting them on a bit of a clock and then also tutoring that gangplank into your hand so it, it helps to level up gangplank at the end of the game if you haven't done it it helps to control the board which it should do because it's a late game card um and uh it also could help maybe level up do stuff with your gangplank by um amassing more uh barrels onto the board as well mm. i think it would be really fun that's either here nor there because it, this isn't a rework the dreadway problem it's a ledger's problem but i think if you lowered him to eight and made a change similar to that was a lot more flavor involved the barrels overall that changes the card and gets rid of the combo and it would also make a dreadway playable which i really wish that it was i think i think dreadway would be a fun card to be playable and powerful in the end game in bilgewater i, I think that well, would be good especially for with rex being so not relevant anymore uh, which is a little sad for me, but yeah, sure. Um, okay, yeah, now no, we can I, to be clear, on. the reason we're not so like we talked about this last week for anyone who missed it, but we're not targeting concurrent timelines or Ladros because we feel that both of those cards, Ladros has been around for a long time. It's a perfectly fine like in-game card, um, and then concurrent timelines uh, is a fun new goofy card. No reason why that should become ruined yes we'd like so, to like but we'd like to keep both of those things around how they are right yeah um so with that said i think we should move to the next one because i think this one will merit maybe the most conversation or sure. maybe that maybe it won't maybe we're just completely completely sold on this i don't know i'm interested to see what your thoughts are on this because i haven't really come up with a final decision on how to fix the problem but it should come as no surprise to anyone who's familiar with the meta that twisted fate and fizz is a big problem. Mm -hmm. um, this to the is point the big where, deck, big deck. yeah, I mean, it's the most played deck to the point where, like, uh, you know, competitive players, uh, casters, streamers, content creators, everyone is so sick of it. Um, for those of you who don't know, basically, the idea is I mean, besides twisted fate just being a super bonkers card in general, um, pairing it with uh, Piltover and Zaun gives you a lot of cycling tools and a lot of ways to quickly level Twisted Fate, sometimes even within two turns, um, which is probably not what he was intended to do. Um, but you have the ability to get and replicate copies of the uh, Burble Fish. Yeah, Burble uh, Fish, yeah. Which is a six mana, I believe, three one elusive, but that uh, also generates cost... a one cost spell, random one cost spell into your hand. Right, and uh, it gets reduced in cost for each spell you played. Um, so basically, the uh, in fact I've never you can tell I've, I've played against this a lot. Uh, yeah, reduce my cost by one for each spell you've cast this game, and then you get a one cost spell from your regions. So it costs six, but with the ability to play a ton of cheap spells, you can pretty consistently get this to cost nothing. The issue is when people counterfeit coin it and then hard cycle through their deck to get an entire board full of these wiggly burble fish, which can all come down and swing for a massive kind of elusive OTK. 
Yeah. It's not really an OTK, but it's it's an elusive big one turn finisher sure it's like an interesting sort of like because it, it burns right it wants to mm-hmm. it controls the board and then over the course of like one to two turns it basically wants to generate so many burble fish for free um including uh one of the is it counterfeit copy is that the new is that the counterfeit new card? coin it's coin is it the the two mana a counterfeit coin i thought used was counterfeit copies yeah, yeah sorry. counterfeit it's copy counterfeit, counterfeit coin copies. was a rogue was a rogue card yeah in, that's what uh, her stuff. <laughs> um yeah so counterfeit copy that it puts a copy of a creature in your hand at burst speed and gives it plus one plus one but if you put a burble fish in your hand oh you're you... no 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 so counterfeit copies puts them in the deck you're thinking okay. of iterative improvement Yes, which is which, which will put a copy in your hand. Yeah, which a four two a four two copy in hand that's also free at free. burst speed, which is yeah very very strong. Um, and so yeah. runs that runs a lot of control tools, runs your your twisted fate and your fizz and fizz more than anything because he's chip damage at the beginning of the game and he just attracts removal because you want to get rid of him and he's very difficult to get rid of because a lot of the removal that targets him is uh, able to be you know gotten rid of because you have a lot well, of very cheap spells and then. And that removal doesn't go towards your Twisted Fate. Um, yeah. And then finally, Twisted Fate can oftentimes level in one to two turns. You have a very small window of time to respond to the TF. And as we have said, I think you could go back very beginning of the Bilgewater set when it was being released and we saw a Twisted Fate. I think you could go back and listen to us on record saying that there will be a point in time when Twisted Fate breaks, right? Like, because we said he's so versatile, he's so strong, there's so much that he can do. And actually, that might not have even been me that said that. In fact, I think I remember Mary Wall of Storms back then being in the chat that said something like that um and you dbn were always really hot on sort of the versatility and power level of twisted fate but level up twisted fate's entirely different level that's entirely Uh, it's just it's it's crazy it's a bonkers card well and and the more you could always build to to strengthen uh tf where like you could build such that you can level him quickly and get access to his amazing leveled up form the issue was one protecting him two um having something worth playing for because he he was very rarely like not a finisher in and of himself like he's not going to push the damage you need something else to do that and he creates the way for it right like he's stunning their guys he's doing little bits of one you know damage he's cycling through your deck and the inclusion of herbal fish along in the uh, targon expansion somewhere along the way really just instantly became that thing that you know oh wow this is what tf is setting up for it this is what he's helping me assemble and of course if you level tf this is what he's completely disrupting any chance the opponent has to do something about it so uh just for context um uh there's a a caster a a, uh, um lor caster named boulevard and on twitter uh, I guess he casts uh, a lot of community tournaments, and I suspect probably some of the uh, um, sanctioned tournaments. I just never get to watch those, unfortunately. Um, but uh, Duels of Sharima, which I believe is a community-run tournament, um, he posted from the most recent one uh, the top 16, uh, the list of of deck lists. Yeah, okay. Um, and how many players were running these decks? 13 of the 16 players ran TF Fizz in their lineup. And that's a lot. Like, that shows you that not only is this a very powerful deck, but high-end players 
really feel like this is a deck that doesn't have good counters either, right? Um, because yeah. if not, you would see a slightly larger diversity in the tournament meta because you, you always have the players, right? They're going to come and they're going to play the best meta decks. And then you have some people who come and they play counter the meta decks. And then you have people who come in and play off meta. And you see oftentimes a wider spread across a tournament uh, set of tournament lists because of that. But when you have a deck that is so strong that it doesn't really have a very good counter, then that you must bring it because either you need to ban it or you need it to be banned, um, that's when you start seeing a bit more of an issue because TF Fizz just doesn't have a lot of great counterplay to it i think that is one of the problems like tf can level so fast you can draw so many cards with this deck you have the ability with elusives to be able to end the game without a lot of counterplay to elusives because you really only have that in uh demacia and in ionia um, because ionia you have the elusives and then in demacia you have sharp sight and without those regions being particularly strong right now there's just not a lot that can be done against a field full of buffed up burble fishes um or even a leveled up twisted fate um and i yeah. have a little bit more to talk about about twisted fate and another champion specifically i'm probably gonna wait until we get to the other champion because i was listening to bbg the other day but what was your thoughts on that tournament lineup because when i hear that that's my initial go-to like okay we have a deck that's very very strong in the meta right now to the point that it doesn't have a lot of counterplay yeah so um before for the record too I, so i am hmm. I'm torn in many ways of how to address this because Twisted Fate is one of the most interesting and flavorful and cool champions in this game. And he's, but, but he has consistently been an absolute powerhouse across multiple combos. Cause don't forget before we had this burble fish, we had go hard. Yes. And TF, you know, was able to not in, not just in himself, but was able to massively facilitate uh, and benefit in conjunction with uh, Go Hard. So is it TF? Or do they keep not learning about how to print cards that go with, uh, you know, discounting or massively efficient, uh, you know, cards that rely on cycle? Because the simple reality is with the card pool that we have, it is very easy for two or three different regions to cycle really, really fast through their deck. And if that's the case, you have to be very careful about printing massively powerful cards or combinations of cards that uh, benefit or encourage you to cycle that fast. Effectively, Go Hard is the perfect example. I don't think they realized at the time how easy it would be for people to just dig and dig and dig and get to their go hard, especially in conjunction with uh, Zap Spray Fin, right? And being able to pull them and structuring their deck in very specific ways. And I don't blame them for that, for not picking up on that, you know? But at this point, you printed Burblefish with the full knowledge that's going to be super easy to get it down to zero. And then uh, you had the counterfeit copies. I mean, people were playing that before the expansion and then Iterative Experiment came in too so what's the solution i don't know is it twisted fate do we do we like burblefish because we can we can completely obliterate burblefish make it not playable and then i don't think anyone the deck, loses any sleep over that right i don't lose sleep over that but does that 
But is that enough to solve the issue of a deck like this cropping up again? Yeah, I think clearly that's... they've demonstrated like a desire to encourage deck cycling as a win condition. So what's the solution? Do you do you damage the deck cycling tools to make deck cycling still a thing but harder to pull off? Or do you make it so that the finishers are never really worth the trouble? I I think that's a really hard, you know, and then you look and you say, okay, how would you even change Twisted Fate, right? Like, um, I mean, Twisted Fate, it would be one thing if it's like, oh, man, they're just going to try to level them up. And then once they level them up, they win the game. Um, but Twisted Fate is incredible at four not leveled up. I mean, he's perfectly fine there. And it seems like his level up condition is pretty high. It's not easy to get to. But then when you have things um, uh, like the what pick a card, uh, no, it's not pick a card. It's the other one that you you sleight of hand. Yeah, sleight of hand. You shuffle a card into your deck, and then you you draw three fleeting at the beginning of your next turn. When you have things like that in rummage. the in the meta, uh, yeah, when you have rummage that's in the game, um, which Bilgewater still has some of the absolute best card draw in the game. I mean, just very strong card draw. Um, when you have so many spells, I, I agree with you because I'm I look at this and my initial reaction is a gut burble fish. Just get rid of it, right? Um, let's just gut the crap out of that thing. I don't care how we change it, how we rework. And if you got into sushi, yeah, if you got Burblefish TF, this particular deck isn't too big of an issue anymore, right? Because it doesn't have the finisher that it needs to win the game. However, that being said, it and it would still be a strong deck. Like this deck would still be strong without Burblefish, but it I don't think it would as reliably mm. win the game because it would really struggle to close out the game. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't think it would. I think it would go down to nobody would play it. I don't. I think if you if you completely remove Burblefish, I don't think anyone would play it the deck at all no, no, they would no, find a different no, no. home they would find a new home for tf but this you wouldn't see be seeing tf is in this way because there would be no reason to to go for anything if burble fish was unplayable yeah, now okay. burble fish just had a way higher requirement let's say burble fish started at 10 you, you maybe you still play it. i don't know what the cap on that is i haven't played the deck enough to know exactly how quickly you can get it to zero and how many more mana points to increase compared to you know like you have the plaza guardian the sandstone chimera like you have other cards that discount over time or discount as you do stuff mm -hmm. like the uh the one that kills uh, uh the scuttlegeist right yeah you have a lot of these other cards that are nowhere near as easy to achieve of discounting as the rural fish and also, they don't have elusive, and really, it's that comes elusive, that that yeah. brings up the point again. Guess what broke the game again? Elusive, yeah, elusive. Because if you look, we have the Plaza Guardian that is in PNZ, so you could play it in this deck. It is a six is a six six with quick attack, um, so it's much you know it's much higher statted. It can push more damage, um, and mm -hmm. it starts at ten mana, and it gets discounted for every spell that you play. The same exact thing as Burble Fish, except it doesn't generate a spell in your hand, and it has half the attack and has five less health. But Plaza Guardian's never been a problem because a quick attack is not elusive. Um, an elusive is a win condition in and of itself. So, but I agree with you, DBN. If you gut Burblefish, yeah, maybe maybe this deck disappears. Um, but when does this deck in a different form crop up again with yeah, that sort of point. core thing? So do you have an idea about how you would change TF? Because it does seem that TF is oftentimes sort of the engine to slow down the mid game, to sort of buy yourself time, to draw a lot of cards. Or are there cards around TF that need adjustment? And if there are, man, that's another patch of Bilgewater cards that get hit. So Storm Brave Tail in our chat had a good suggestion 
uh, said, what if TF triggered every two cards like Felios? He's great for cycling and getting tons of cards, but would that be too weak? Here's my stance. I don't want anything to happen to TF at level one. I don't want his stats to change. I don't want his abilities to change. I love the. I love playing TF at level one. It's one of the most interesting cards. To me, I don't even care if he levels up because I love playing him and just the the decision-making, the utility, the flexibility, but feeling like it's a fair card. Um, the level-up form is, I think, the issue if we're going to blame TF. If we're going to blame TF, it's leveled-up form. So I think you take it either one of two ways. Either you nerf his ability at that leveled-up form, or you make it even harder for him to level, which I'm not a huge fan of because you have uh, the idea of, like, if you're leveled up form is weaker but just as or maybe even easier to achieve um it's more exciting to play even if the end result is not as effective and potent um mm -hmm. as the idea of like with ezreal like when they bumped ezreal's like a uh, number of spells like way way up right all that meant was there was way more games where somebody who wanted to play ezreal never got to see the cool level up yes you, yep. you just from a never from got to a do your fun cool perspective thing. You want you want to see these level these champions level like as a not just as a player but like as a big picture game designer thing. Don't print champions that can level if you make it so that they'll never level, right? So like in that situation, I think I would lean towards something like Stormbrave Tale is saying, where you are reducing the efficiency of leveled TF. Um, two cards uh, for every uh, every trigger. Um, I mean, it would be really hard to get that uh, full six, you know, uh, you'd have to play six spells or six cards in a turn to get every single card. Um, I kind of like the idea of every two cards getting to pick one of the cards. Yeah, um, every okay. time you play uh -huh. one of the two cards, you get you every time you play two cards, you get to pick one of the cards and then maybe uh, it would remove one of those options every time you do it so by the time you've played your sixth card it's whichever one is left right yeah i like that, that. could be that could be because that still gives you the idea of like having that choice just like you do when you play them the first time um so yeah something like that would be i think it's time that we nerf tf but i love him and so i don't want him to get gutted, gutted. yeah i agree so i want to see that leveled up i want to see that leveled up form that is encouraging the more I don't want to call it degenerate because it's not, but I the encouraging the more combo oriented play to get the hit. And I don't want it to punish people who really like the style and theme and flexibility of the card in mid rangey play styles. Yeah. Well, let's, I think we should connect this to another equally as versatile champion. That's very, very powerful. And another deck that we want to talk about, which we are calling Aphelios Temple. Um, and the reason that we're calling it that is because Aphelios has been toyed around with, with a couple of other champions as of late. Um, and he can be played with a couple of other things. I've seen him played with everything from Zoe to Aesol to Talia. And I think probably the most powerful version is the bridge here, right? Which is Twisted Fate. That, that's probably 
probably the, at least it was prior to the expansion. Maybe there's a more powerful list out there, but basically we got Aphelios and we got this temple card and, and what temple is, um, it is a four mana card that says the second card you play each round other than this card. So it, it doesn't work on the round that you play it necessarily. Oftentimes it doesn't. Um, you give the uh, most strongest creature on your board, I believe plus two plus two, um, and then also refills two mana. Well, if you have two of these things on the board and you play cheap cards that cost less than two mana or just so happen to be free um, because of whatever discounts or whatever you have in your hand, um, it just is automatically refunds you mana and can refund you quite a bit of mana and can buff your board and can make Aphelios extremely difficult to kill. We've even seen Aphelios being played with some atrocity lists, which will be a bridge to what we'll talk about after this deck. But I was listening to BBG talk the other day and I thought this was really interesting because I can't even remember what it was that he was playing. I think he was trying to play some some Nasus lists um, earlier, uh, Nasus Kindred and stuff. And he was just talking about sort of the power of passive champions. So champions that do not need to engage in combat in order to get their value or engine champions. Um, so Aphilios and TF are kind of the two quintessential engine champions, right? They are an engine in and of themselves. You don't need to do much with them. And he was comparing these two things like Shivana, which I think is one of BBG's favorite card to to dish uh, to dis on or whatever, but he doesn't really like Shivana because Shivana's entire ability is focused around her being able to attack. And there are a lot of other champions in the game whose entire ability is basically based around their ability to make attacks. They have to attack. Garen has to attack. Jarvan has to attack. Katarina has to attack. A lot of a lot of sort of active champions that have to attack in order for them to find value. Whereas Aphilios and Twisted Fate can sit back on the board, never have to risk engagement at all with you unless you're able to challenge them or directly damage them and say, I don't have to do anything or take any risks in order to generate value. I can sit on the board and do that just fine by myself. There are a couple of other passive champions that I think are worth mentioning. Someone like, um, I would say, even like uh, Aurelian Soul is a pretty passive champion. And there have been Leona. some, Leona, and yeah, Leona can be a passive champion. He did also point out that there are another brand of champions that are kind of in their own space, which are champions with Elusive, which you have your Ezreal Teemo, um, and Zoe, which all generate a lot of value off of attacking, but because they have elusive, their rules on attacking are a little bit different than what the other champions like, say, Shabana. You could argue that Misfortune's a back row champ too. Yeah, and he did say that. He said she's kind of 50-50, right? You're playing a three mana 3-3 three, three because you want to push damage with her, and it, it, it is kind of based off the deck that you're playing it in, right? Because a lot of decks, and he, he also said, to be fair, um, Ash is like a, a good active champion, right? Because yep. you do need to attack to get her value, but she comes with some built-in protection. But there's a lot of champions that just aren't great um, because they're not these really passive champs. And Aphilios is fits that bill. Like he is the passive value generation. And when I saw Aphilios and I read him, I was like, this is Twisted Fate. This is Twisted Fate for Targon. Um, he, we're going to have the same problems. No, he's not. However, he does have a lot of the same or similar versatility that Twisted Fate does and unleveled up, I think, potentially even more. Um, and so I understand why people are frustrated playing against Aphilios. He's very hard to deal with. Yeah, I feel like Aphilios is... I feel like Aphilios is overall a better champion. The difference is, right now, Twisted Fate has access to um uh burble fish right yes. like you're in the same faction there right and so i mean 
the super strong like you know combos that you can like pay off with with twisted fate are not with felios sure um but you can generate so much consistent value Aphelios never has to engage and a bigger difference between this card and some of the champs and other factions is that you're playing it in one of the best factions to protect your own units between mm-hmm. having like bastion and some bust vigor and all sorts of ways to um react and and make sure that your stuff stays alive so Aphelios has already been nerfed once going down to two defense and we're talking about Aphelios again so the issue isn't the stats, clearly. He's easier to kill now. It doesn't seem to matter, right? Aphelios's strength is in raw flexibility and value creation and the ability of something like Veiled Temple uh, to effectively just give you free mana and a free casting of a moon weapon, um, which then get discounted at his next level. It's just it's just too much. Um I think so, Veiled Temple is a problem. Hmm. I think Veiled Temple is a problem. I think it generating two mana. I played it in Talia Aphelios a little bit just to sort of check it out because I saw the deck. I saw Swim's Medalist and Talia Aphelios got rated high with Veiled Temple. And as it turns out, when you copy Veiled Temple yeah. with Talia, it is crazy. It's so yes. strong. No, it definitely is. It's amazing um, how many cards you can play when stuff like that happens. Yeah, I just am unsure if Veiled Temple is particularly the issue because I am I my issue with Aphelios is that um he he's nightfall. You instantly get a, a weapon on the turn that you play him if you've played something else before it, right? So you get a, a you kind of get a really good jump start on it. Um and then it is so because you're feeding yourself a card. You're never going to run out of cards as long as Aphelios lives because one of the two cards that you would need to play will generate another card, which you want to play because of the ability to every time you play two cards, you generate another weapon. Mm-hmm. So you will, with Aphelios, even at level one, you will trigger the Nightfall, get a weapon. Um, and then on the next turn, you'll draw a card and you'll have the weapon. You can literally just play the card you draw and the weapon and get another weapon. Yep. And he will infinitely cycle that value. So I I don't know. And of course, just I mean, that is going without the idea of all of the combinations of things. I mean, his his synergy with Zoe of generating five new options to very quickly and easily get to level Zoe. Um, the ability to have lots of cards to play for twisted fate. The ability to um, yank Boctopus out of Boctopus out of the deck without damaging himself and just getting a yep. two mana three four with Challenger, oftentimes on turn three, pretty good. With crescendo. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I I I mean, maybe you bump all of his weapons to three mana. Could you get rid? Uh, my initial thought was okay. Like Aphelios is such a complex card. Like you can easily do something that ruins him, right? And I actually like playing Aphelios. I think he's super fun. He's really engaging. There's interesting mm-hmm. decisions to make. You have all of these different pathways that you can take with him when you're generating your weapons. I think that that was really smart. I think it was really intelligent. Um, there are probably some cards around him that you could adjust, but it's it's going to have a bigger impact on other decks than it is on Aphelios himself. My initial reaction was like, let's take it slow with this card and let's remove Nightfall from him. 
let's make him incapable of generating a uh, a, a weapon on the turn he comes in with nightfall um, yeah i thought of that too that was kind of my initial one it might not be enough right because he can still generate a lot of stuff but he doesn't come online quite as quickly whenever you remove that and that was sort of like yeah. my first thought my complaint i think is that the weapons are, are underpriced for what they do gravitum in particular um but Double i mean stun? yeah compare yeah compare um i mean even just direct compare infernum to um zenith blade yeah i mean basically i mean night, it's literally night and day especially because you're able to generate infernum off of something you'll never have to main deck an infernum. uh zenith blades right um and granted it's only for the round not the turn but when you're handing out overwhelm generally you're only really caring about the turn that you're playing it to try to push and finish you know closing out damage it's not always the case but the simple idea that like if i'm looking at building a deck and i want to get overwhelm i'd rather just run a felios than ever run zenith blade because not only can i go and get the overwhelm when i need it i can also go and get a double stun, life steal, deal three to a follower, or the, you know, weirdly, the one that feels the most effective. I think at the time we were kind of like, when it first came out, we kind of looked at like shrug is crescendum, two mana, pull a two drop from your deck. And if it has nightfall, activate it. Can we just talk about the fact that, like, I mean, you, I don't, well, to be honest, I don't think I ever underestimated this card, but I don't think I realized how good it would be and how often I'm like, yes, give me board presence off of a, you know, I don't lose. It's not like, it's not like you're pulling the card from hand and losing like uh, hand control. Mm -hmm. You're pulling it straight out of your deck. You know exactly what you're going to pull. You built it. So, you know, you know exactly the options and you know, so it's like, it's not a random, it's not like it's summoning a random two cost follower. It's pulling it from your deck off of a card that you generated for free. Like, I'm just, like, I'm geeking out here. Aphelios is is too, too, too flexible, too easy to generate infinite resources off of, and the resources that you generate are, are too good for their mana cost. So do you think it's reasonable to change the mana cost of some and not others? Is that too no. complex? I think it's just, yeah, it's too, com it's just keep them all the same. I, I say bump all of the weapons to three. Um... You know, listen, uh, Riven got when Riven came out, the Blade of the Exile was three cost. You know, it didn't make Blade of the Exile, you know, bad. It just made it hard to play. Yes. Right. Blade of the Exile, the card was still worth three mana. It's just by the time you built up to it, it was a little bit like you, the game would be, you know, on pins and needles on your mana pool, right? You're, you're trying to push the last bit of damage and you're like, wow, do I play Blade of the Exile or do I get another overwhelm unit down? Right. Um, so similarly, I feel like, or, or in contrast rather with the Felios, like you're generating these things every turn, whereas Riven only gets it every other turn and you have a massive choice of things, whereas Riven's are random. I'm saying bump that cost up and make people sacrifice mana for the raw flexibility. You know, it, it's going to slow down the level. Or yeah. rather, it's going to stop the deck from being able to play quite as many other powerful main deck cards in conjunction with these super powerful generated cards. So I think just bumping, and then I think you leave everything else the same. You know, if you get the Veiled Temple down, that's all well and good. It's just, you've got, 
you're not going to re completely fully refund one of these weapons. I think bumping the weapons to three, they're still appropriately costed. I think Calibrum's the only one that feels a little bad at three mana. Yeah, but a three um, mana deal for and I could see that's I could free, see... like you didn't have to put it in your deck, is still pretty good. I mean, if you think Shadow Isles, three mana deal four to something, but something has to die for that to even happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, two mana deal two, but you it's have also to main slow, deck it. and it only hits followers. Like okay, yeah. So I mean, there are. I think Calibrum could get bumped it. to deal four to a follower if it went up to three mana. You could say deal four to a follower. I would be cool with that. Um, but then I think Severum, Gravitum, Infernum, and Crescentum are all appropriately priced, considering you're generating them for free, and you never have to pick that one if you don't want to. That's the biggest thing. It's not like you're randomly pulling one. You you always have a choice, and so if you really don't want Crescentum, you will never have to get Crescentum ever. Yep. You know, some, there's sometimes when you play Riven and you're like, man, I really hope I don't get the Overwhelm one. Ah, son of a gun. Got the Overwhelm one. That's the least helpful right. here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, that will never be the case with Aphelios. You may have to choose between two that are a little bit lesser good, but you will always have a choice if there's one that is has no purpose for you at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, I agree. I th okay, so let's go with let's let's leave it at that. The three mana, the three mana uptick to the weapons. Um, let's move on to another deck that uh features atrocity, and we have already actually talked about some decks that have featured atrocity. Atrocity has been seen in uh in in the CT well, Lakers deck. Well, people are even starting to play atrocity with Aphelios and the idea of like, oh, okay, I'll just star shaping, invoke a big thing, and then throw it at someone's face. Yeah, like, so he's been around he's been yeah. around so the other deck that's been that's been seen that is potentially problematic which i'm actually don't think it is but um is like it's the nasus atrocity deck which right now it was it was oftentimes kindred nasus right now it's mostly thresh nasus um because you can get mm -hmm. a couple of nasus out relatively reliably nasus is arguably a passive champion as well um but a very strong passive champion that does want to attack because it helps you accelerate his level up and he has challenger so uh so in interesting this is this deck's main goal right is kill stuff kill stuff draw a ton of cards because you got a couple new draw tools in shadow isles you're uh, running a lot of stuff that slay things you get your giant nasus on board you do your best to get him leveled up and then you take him an atrocity face because he comes with spell shield when he's leveled up which is very very strong if you're pulling leveled right. up him from your deck he has spell shield when he comes out of your deck off of the off of the back of the Thresh Lantern. And then you can Atrocity, and your opponent has very little that it can do because it not only has to interact with Nasus once, it has to interact with Nasus twice to be able to remove it. There's very little that's capable of doing that in the game right now, reliably at that point, um, especially because this deck does put on a little bit of pressure in the early game, um, allowing you to, you know, one turn kill, oftentimes finish off your opponent with the Atrocity. So, DBN, tell me your opinion of this deck, because my opinion is actually that this deck is not problematic. People just are salty about it. It. No, I I definitely I was the one who picked the five lists that we were going to talk about. Yeah. And I put this on the list not because I think it's necessarily a huge problem now, but because I think it will become a problem when TF is slash maybe Aphelios get axed. Um those are decks that can just kind of ignore the whole Nasus y thing in many ways. Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, you know, you can kind of get the burble fish, play them all out and potentially just win the game and ignore the fact that there's a big, scary Anubis guy. Right. Um, or whatever. So I think that in a, in an environment where some of the big top contenders leave, I think this deck really 
slots in and becomes the next big problem. And I think that belies a bigger issue, right? Like even if this deck in particular isn't isn't going to become the biggest like new offender, I think we're at the point where atrocity needs to be looked at as a not not fun and not conducive to consistently enjoyable play because it's a finisher that ignores attacking and board confrontation. Hmm. Um, I am, I am at the point where I, I'm like, I used to, you know, atrocity was a great card. It's still a great card. I put it in my shadow house decks. Right. But, but like, I'm seeing it pop up as a one of in random places. Cause sometimes it'll just auto win you the game. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you like, have a big enough bloke to be able to finish off an opponent and burn them out with the atrocity. Like, I feel like, aggro decks should not be slotting a one by atrocity in sure i mean it would actually even be a good deck in my mono shadow isles uh mistrace deck just because sometimes you can't get the damage through and you could play the mistrace yep. and then atrocity to get to face right i literally know someone who swears by that it, you know it's just a simple matter of uh i think atrocities days are over or rather i think they should be over i think we can retire atrocity as a consistent kind of game winning strategy nasa yeah. just happens to be the thing that has changed my mind on it um but also the Aphelios thing like there's just so many ways and i think it's good there's a lot of ways to get big units and that's fun i like big units and i cannot lie but i like them to attack <laughs> things i don't like them to, be uh, to completely ignore actually using those stats in terms of influencing the board um so i i think that and I also think like that Nasus list, it's super easy to actually get Nasus because of the fact that you've got right of calling, which can blow up things that you already want to blow up. Yep. Uh -huh. You want to kill the stuff anyway. Yeah. It's, um, and, and, and Thresh you can pull can them out instantly... with Thresh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's super consistent. So even if they handle the first Nasus, it's super easy for people to go and pick up a second one. Um, so. And the spell shield thing is is obviously something that makes it hard to say. Like the traditional response to an atrocity would be kill the thing that they want to kill with atrocity. Yeah, vengeance or a frostbite effect, even to be able to you know, yep. oh, you sack it now, it does nothing. Sure. But not only do you have to have one copy of something that deals with that and the mana to play it. Now with Nasus leveled, you have to have two copies of whatever that is and the mana to play both of them in order to stop the atrocity. And if you do stop the atrocity, guess what? There's still a 10-10 or higher guy with spell shield. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you didn't kill it, or let's say you um, or let's say you frostbit it twice, right? Just to get through the, the spell shield and then hit it. If that thing still lives, you know, barring the chance that you actually killed it with like a vengeance, which is one of the few things, I guess, you could recall it maybe. Um, but the simple happen. fact is it's pricey. <laughs> Oh, yeah, to deal with expensive. it the options to the options to deal with it are very limited and very pricey and so the nasa's one feels bad because like you already didn't have a lot of great ways to stop atrocity and now you have to use them use two of them um so i think atrocity it's just not going to be a long-lasting enjoyable inclusion in this game so i think that atrocity either needs to be increased in cost um, so that it becomes even more of a pricey win condition that yes, it's it's hard to counter, but it's also something that is a bigger, you know, detriment uh if somebody's able to counter it. Because keep in mind, six mana may seem like a lot at first, but when you have spell mana banked at the end of the game, you you, you can play 
two atrocities in one turn. Yep. Uh, I've seen that. You know, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, so we do have right of negation now, which is, you know, uh, maybe another problem. The fact that, you know, deny, which used to be one of the only kind of big selling points of Ionia. Now you've got one in the new fancy stream up. Personally, I don't mind having another negation. I just kind of feel bad for Ionia in the mix. But, um, but the simple reality is, I, I think it's just not going to be a fun thing going forward. And so I think, and I do happen to think that the Nasus deck is is going to be very potent once there is a meta adjustment, because I can definitely see that deck getting glossed over in balance changes and then just jumping up to be the top dog. I hope that doesn't happen, but I that's my prediction. And so either way, whether it's from the fun angle or from the projected competitive angle, I think that I would like to see a change to Atrocity. Okay, so here's my thought on the change to atrocity. And I, I actually agree with you. I'm like, uh, nerf atrocity and give me Rasha back, right? I want to give me my yes. Ra- give me yeah, my Yeah, what Rasha. happened to Ra- yeah, Rasha was a Rasha way cooler back. card. Like, I think that would be so much more fun. It was a skill. I would I'd give me my Rasha back. So here's my thought. And I, let me just be really clear about how half-baked this is. This is not a good idea yet. This is a th- <laughs> thought. Um, this is a thought. Oh, boy, buckle up. Yeah, this is a thought. And my thought is... Is that atrocity becomes somewhere between a combination of the card crumble and the card judgment, um, which basically allows you to sacrifice one of your creatures to deal its attack damage to either probably either like a unit to a unit but multiple units so not just nerf it so it can't hit nexus and just go unit because then why wouldn't you just play crumble and sack a creature to be able to kill a creature directly it's like a vengeance Mm -hmm. for five if you sack a creature let's allow it to be able to damage multiple units on the opponent's board sack a creature to deal its attack damage to two creatures on the opponent's board or sack a creature to deal its damage um that could let's let's make it uh uh, you know, let's make it a focus card or something mm-hmm. um, instead of a fast card. So you can you well, that's probably way too strong. That's, or you that could have a terrible stun idea. That was units with idea. lower attack. Yeah, stun units with lower like sack it to stun units with lower attack, or or sack it in uh, to to deal its damage to all all units in combat. Right, kind of like a judgment, but instead of striking yeah. each of them, mm-hmm. it's two less mana. You have to sack it; it only does its damage, or make it so it can only be used in combat and only deals its damage to all units on the opponent's back line. And so, whatever your opponent, you know, you attack and your opponent keeps some stuff back be to be able to, to reserve code, it. But it would be interesting. It would be interesting to say, okay, like you want to block my big guy okay jump block him i'm gonna sack him and destroy your back line um i think that could be fun uh so i think there's some stuff that you could do with atrocity that allows it to go more into like a sack my big dude to make use of him to control the board and less of sack my big dude to win the game in one spell i really this is kind of off topic um but i just love i love the idea of punishing people for not throwing things on uh, on defense i would love to see a champion that punishes the people at home the yes. people that didn't come to the battle like which like just kind like, of does, you cowards right? you didn't come to battle does damage to them or i don't know something mm-hmm. like i think that that could be super super interesting and a mechanic and kind of that would be well naturally deal with issues like Aphelios and twisted fate mm-hmm. so yeah, that you could be really interesting you would ha- i feel like it would have line. to be a unit like a champion because it would be hard to deal with like have a card that would hurt the back row but you could only because you because then you have to code a spell speed that could only be played in combat 
another you spell know? speed. Let's add more spell speeds. To yeah, the game. but I think a, a champion that would say that kind of like uh, um, I'm trying to think like a you know like a gangplank effect or something that it, it would go on the chain where like if you don't you know it only hits the back line as opposed to things that would hit like uh like gangplank hits everything or misfortune only hits the things that go show up to attack. This one only hits the back line. That could be really yeah. fascinating. Like a like a Swain assassin kind of does or something. That, right. Swain kind of does that. He stuns only stuff that's on the board or it, it, that aren't attacking. Um so like you can damage face in yeah, the middle yeah, of yeah. an attack with Swain and it's not gonna do anything to the board. Uh like on the back or like on the attacking or the defending board, but it will stun stuff on the back line. So he he does mm-hmm. something similar. He's the only champion that does. I think it'd be cool to have that. Um DBN, do you have any other thoughts on atrocity other than you want it changed before we move on to the last deck? And I'll I'll let you introduce that one um no yeah i i think that's that's pretty pretty much all said and done i don't know what the change should be i just think that atrocity is ready to go okay take um, us to the fifth and final deck that we think could use some adjustment yeah so that's going to be another very contentious list which is shen and fiora or really just fiora sure um, yeah it's fiora right so obviously shen doesn't need a nerf uh <laughs> please don't but Shen has proven to be one of the better ways better things to pair with fiora um and i also want to go back to that uh and this is just a snippet guys this doesn't represent every single tournament but i think it was just a very telling thing back to that uh that tweet from boulevard uh in that top 16 13 players played tf and fizz 10 players played shen and fiora yeah um for the record, Aphelios Temple had exactly 50% of all players played Aphelios um, in some form or another. So, um, Shen and Fiora, the second most played competitive list. Why? Well, it probably handles uh, TF Fizz decently. It kind of seems to me like it would be a, a good candidate to go and kill Fizz quickly, kill TF quickly. Um, as far as if I'm trying to think through the list which i don't have in front of me but like tf fizz doesn't have great ways of dealing with a buffed up uh fiora they don't have like big chunks of damage or anything like crumble or uh or vengeance or ruination sure. or anything basically like if you can defend yourself with barriers uh fiora has a pretty good chance of living a lot of trades against the tf fizz list well right but the and and also if you're buffing fiora with spells and whatnot you know you're not going to be they're not going to have enough damage to throw at it like they can throw out a lot of one and two point damages but it's not like if you if you which people are back to somehow playing standalone right in some decks like all in like literally all in fiora decks exist yeah i've seen lists that are getting played at high masters level that run like six units there is so there is like uh there is all in so there's two there's there's an all in fiora deck um but then there is there's also um there's also like an aggro sort of version of the fiora deck right that's going to run the little one drops that get buffed up for if you give something barrier it's also going to have shen and it's like it's a little bit more aggressive a lot of challengers there there is a yep. couple of variations i think that one of the reasons that you see this so much rep- so represented in this tournament lineup right is because it's a very strong tournament deck right because it has some weaknesses but the de- the the games where it is strong it's incredible 
incredibly strong, right? Against sort of like aggressive strategies, the Shen Fiora deck is almost impossible to deal with because the aggressive strategies don't have the control to get rid of the Fiora and you're just yeah, attacking into her. You're attacking into her and you're just sort of like, as someone who's played a lot of aggressive style decks, like when they get Fiora down, sometimes you just feel like I'm hopeless. Like I really don't have a way to deal with this. As long as he can protect her, I lose. So my only hope is to attack in hopes that there's a time when he cannot protect her and he has to lose her in order to survive. Otherwise I lose the game. So basically it's just, he's playing the game. I'm not really playing the game at that point. It's just like, do you have protection? Don't you have protection? That determines if, if you win or if I win. Um, and it, it's a pretty polarizing card in that way. And I could see why that would be something that you would want to take to a tournament, right? Because it yeah. really, really capitalizes against a couple of specific decks. Others, maybe not so much, right? Others that can remove the Fiora pretty consistently, maybe not so much, um, but it, it, certainly a couple of specific decks. But it is strong, like, don't get me wrong, and it's very infuriating to lose against Fiora. Like, yeah. the 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 it sucks to lose against Fiora. No one wants to do that. And so, no. um, and we've been saying that since the beginning, right? You're starting a game with an alternate win condition, which we've said before Bilgewater came out, is a we felt like that was strange from the very beginning. Yeah, I am, not, I am on record across multiple podcast episodes but also multiple games throughout my life of having a strong distaste for alternate win conditions um i don't mind you know like like not win conditions as a card type is different from a alternate win condition like you can have cards that are win conditions quote unquote as in like this card allows me to deal damage to my face or to my opponent's face and destroy them that's a win condition card and so you have to kind of distinguished because the, the the two definitions overlap but traditionally alternate win condition means a card that says do a mini game and then you win the game or your opponent loses the game yeah uh -huh. right like it literally will say on the text you win the game or your opponent loses the game right so i don't like them because most of the time they're printed initially as a fun, weird way to play that will never happen, but inevitably someone finds a way to consistently do it, and it's just not fun. Why? Because most of the time they're encouraging you to not play the game the way it was designed. And that, in many ways, uh, is kind of what I feel like Fiora is at times, which is, yes, you are fighting things, but you don't care at all about your opponent's life total. You care yeah, not at not, all. Not at all. And yours is you just know? a resource the whole time, right? Just like how much damage am I capable of taking until I can pull off the OTK? Right. Which I we we I'm loosely saying OTK. Obviously, it's generally not an OTK. It's a multiple turn kill. But the alternate win condition printed, you you win the game. That's what we're talking about. Right. So I'm not a huge fan of those. I I wasn't super thrilled to see the Watcher, by the way. Um. Because it's it's another thing. Like, isn't mm -hmm. a seventeen? I'd rather they put over overwhelm on the seventeen whatever unit. Yeah, I would much rather see overwhelm. Deck, yeah. Right. I happen to really like uh, as a. It's not an alternate win condition in the way that we were talking about, but as a win condition card, that is more memey and more kind of like the idea of like if you play this, you probably win. I really like pursuit of perfection. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, that's probably that's a that's an example of a good comparative card where you play this wonky weird minigame as you go, 
And the, you know, the, and fluff, to... the fluff card for Poros is kind of similar, right? The the giant of the ball of fluff, heart of the fluff. Yeah, I think that's kind of similar. You're you playing kind of a mini game along with Poros, and then at the end, you're like, okay, do I win or I don't win with this giant fluffy ball? I swear, some people, I think people still overlook the power of Poro aggro and uh, the elusive Poro and Poro cannons. If you I'm build it right, that. you can seriously do so much damage with the Poros and the Poro cannons. And then right as they're getting able to deal with the smaller Poros, like the 2-2s two and 3-3s three and 4-4s, four if you're buffing them, you consolidate them into one mega Poro with overwhelm and elusive. It's pretty cool. Um. And sometimes, well, that's no, a, it's not spell shield. You could, you could get spell shield. You can get spell shield if you, uh, if you, you pull the lucky. Poro. Yeah, yeah, off of the uh, the lonely. Which poro. is very strong. It's one of those decks yeah. where you wish you could have five regions, right? Like, why? <laughs> that's like one of those few that's like, hey, I'll I'll take no champions. Give me five regions, and I just put all the poros in. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you guys, I have this list, and it wins more than it loses. I swear. Poro. Uh, it's it's fun. Good. It's very fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I just that that's kind of the last thing I, I want to say really on the Shen Fior thing. The the answer to fix it, I just kind of want to gut Fiora like completely. Okay, so like uh, does that mean we completely rework Fiora? Because I'm up for that, or does that mean that we increase yeah, like, ideally the, the win I just condition. don't think they'll do it right now. I don't think I don't think I don't think Riot is going to want to change Fiora's like dueling and then win the game i, I don't think they'll want to change it i think he's been like the same since closed beta i don't know that fiora's ever gotten touched i don't think fiora has ever gotten a nerf ever mm -mm. um the cards around it have it at times when standalone went from three to four because you had the fiora zed stupid thing yeah that was very silly <laughs> you know very strong. so i just i just think I just want Fiora to get nerfed into the ground. Ideally reworked, but nerfed into the ground. I would love her to lose a, a point or two of defense. In fact, in fact, uh, if she went up, to, if she they changed her stats to four one, four that one would be four one. She'd be so bad. Well, you can still put barriers on him. Yeah, like you can still roll to combat with a barrier, kill something. And not die. But then if somebody and you can still buff her defense permanently. If you want a sunblessed vigor of Fiora, I, I not that people are using it sunblessed vigor, but I'm just that's what came to mind. If you want a sunblessed uh vigor of Fiora and get a permanent plus two, cool. Now she's back to her normal defensive stat line. Yeah, I, I mean I would rather see her entirely reworked than than gutted to that point. I think yeah, me too. Um, I would but, just. I mean, I don't people think who want to play Fiora to. can still do it. They're just not consistently. Yeah, I think Fiora has flavor. It, it, the funny part is, is like the the oat, like the the kill, like the win condition doesn't even make much sense. Like if you look at Fiora in the game, she's sort of this duelist that dances around her opponent. She dashes and dives and sort of strikes very specific locations. So in League of Legends, if you're up against, let's say, Renekton in the top lane, which is where Fiora would typically be played, she typically shreds tanks because she dips and dives around them, striking them in specific locations. So when you engage with somebody, literally these little, you know, those, those little circles that go around the enemy nexus that get dashed, yeah. you'll see those little symbols come around your enemy. And if you can strike them in that location, you'll deal extra damage, shred more That's armor, cool. things like that so it's, it's a very interesting thing and it would almost be interesting if fiora just like 
I don't know, like, let's give her Challenger, and if she attacks her marked target, um, she gets first strike. Um, let's make her a 3-3 three, three with Challenger that every, the beginning of each round, you mark a target, and if she strikes her marked target, she gets first strike, or plus one, plus zero in first strike this round. Something like that, something that makes her want to, like, mm. strategically attack specific things, um, or even random things, because where those locations show up on your enemy in LOL is random, um, and, and so sort of like make her um, a little bit more board centric and controlly in the early game, early to mid game, instead mm -hmm. of, instead of so like, I just win the game off of this card. Sure. Wouldn't mind. I'd that. love to see, I'd love to see her with a ability similar to Renekton or even maybe an ability that is like buffs other challenger units too, like all challenging because uh, Demacia is part of their identity is having this duelist thing, but really most of the uh, challenger cards don't see play. Um, you know, the Laurent Duelist and stuff, it will occasionally get thrown in because he's got a 2-4 stat line with Challenger, so he can be like a substitute, like wannabe Fiora when it comes to challenging for removal purposes. But I would love to see Fiora have something like, when I challenge, give me some cool ability. I'd love to see, like, you know, when I challenge, cut the enemy's life in half. This, like, she only has oh to God. deal half of the amount of damage that she would typically have to do. Not, like, not literally damage them, but, like... Oh, you mean the, the, the challenged unit as opposed to the enemy nexus. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not the enemy nexus. The challenged unit. So, let's say she attacks a 6-6. Uh, a she doesn't actually deal three damage before she attacks, but she only has to deal three damage to a target with six health to be able to kill it. Kind right? of like a rogue sneak attack. Yeah, vibe. yeah. Like sort a backstabby like, sort of Yeah, I would I, vibe. I think that could be kind of fun. I think that would be enjoyable. I don't know if it'd be any good, but I think there's a lot of room to explore Fiora without her having to be this win-the-game combo because it just doesn't even exist in LOL. It's not like if you play Fiora, oh, if you just play this minigame up in the top lane that eventually the enemy's nexus explodes. You have to win the same way whether you're playing Fiora or not. Um, so it doesn't even make a tremendous amount of sense to me um, why they created her the way that they did. Um, and I think that there's room to explore her here in a complete and total rework. And I'm actually a big fan of the total reworks. Um, I think some of the reworks they've done, they've done pretty successful with. And I would love yeah. to see more champion reworks because each one of these champions has abilities in LOL that are completely unexplored. And you could explore mm -hmm. stuff that hasn't been explored with this. So I'm all for that. I hope we see Yeah, that. I mean, I think the biggest success story was the Callista rework. Callista rework was phenomenal. I mean, very, very cool. Really good. It was really, really good. One um, of my favorite champions trying to think, still. They also reworked Vlad. And I thought that was, oh, sort of. It was a light-handed rework, yeah. It was a very light rework because of the idea of, like, you can choose if there's something you don't want to hit with him. Mm -hmm. you know like that that's 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 i, I just hope we count. see more reworks i i i would i'm i'm encouraged to see it's, champions kind of go back to the drawing board it's it's tough like you, you know i don't I, I feel like we demand reworks all the time because we see the potential in a card to be more flavorful or thematic and we also don't like the idea like we are very adverse to i feel like nerfing something like straight up nerfing yeah, because like we don't cost, like health its stats, we're yeah. very both of us are very much of the opinion like we want everything to be playable we just want those things to be as fair as one can expect the simple reality is there's always going to be a, a strongest deck there always will Absolutely. be and as soon as that happens everybody's going to be up in arms ready for that thing to die that's the nature of card games it's cyclical it will never end and you really can't get too worked up about 
uh, you know, about what's strong and what's not strong, you have to take it on a case by case basis or you're always going to hate the game. Yeah. Like that's the simple reality. And it's not just, it's not just LOR. It's every card game, every video game that has a competitive side. You know, if you, if you're always going to be upset because something is the strongest, you will never have fun with the game. Yeah. And perfect balance is a bad place to be. It you really- can't you can't ask that. I'm I'm more and more subscribing to the idea of you know allowing things to be strong for a while and then nerfing them and intentionally allowing something else to be strong Which for a while. Which gives us great because content. Because the pursuit right, because the pursuit of perfect balance is just going to make the game less fun, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Well, why don't we wrap it up and get out of here? Uh, we'll head towards closing thoughts in a moment. But before we jump into closing thoughts, I do want to say the Legends Cast Discord League Season 3 mm-hmm. kicked off uh, just yesterday um, as a recording. This when you, when you hear this episode a couple of days, it'll have gone for a couple of days. Uh, and the cross shard stuff has been fixed with a patch that I think came through today. So I believe we can already play cross shard. So if you have signed up, make sure you go over there, read the instructions because there's a brand new bot. I want to give a big shout out to Formula 40 eight who's in our Absolutely. chat who is our league admin um and uh, and also the pain who's been helping with league admining of course and jeff i always want to give a shout out to who's our lead admin but formula built a bot for entering in um so that they would be able to identify like where you are and what your matchup is so you just go exclamation point matchup and it will automatically the bot will come back and let you know what your matchup is or it might be my game or my match i can't remember but just go in there and look and see what people are doing in the bots pamp channel and you'll be able to see it um super super cool so you'll be able to go and use that bot thank you formula 408 mm-hmm. for all of your and your hard work in that because i didn't even realize he was doing it and all of a sudden oh there is a bot and it wasn't something that he was trying to implement it was something that he built himself um and i was like i cannot believe this guy learned and built a bot just for our discord league which is yeah incredible. and it's not something that you know we actually asked him to do or we we never came up with the idea of like oh man like we wish people had an easier way of doing that guys can you get on that this was never a discussion we had it's just something that all of a sudden he came in and said hey guys i think i have a way to make this better just i mean you know i don't want to sound like a boss or anything because he does it completely voluntarily but like that initiative was so awesome yeah really like it was like you know i mean we don't he's not paid he's not you know i mean we love him to death he does this because you know, he enjoys the community, finds value in it and just blows me away. You know, just the amount of effort that our admins, you know, our, our chat mods and everything put in. And, and just, I mean, in any way, if you've ever contributed in any way to the server, you know, functioning or donated, you know, trophies or prize pool and stuff like that, like, just know that like anytime that comes up, Mark and I just shake our head and go, holy crap why how what did we do to deserve this yeah like, what a that cool is community. constantly what we're talking what we're texting each other and talking about yeah which is what keeps me up after midnight editing podcasts uh and, and uploading and and recording and doing all of that stuff yeah. is is yeah. because of the community so thank you to formula 408 and thank you to all of our community members and all of our supporters who have just been so incredible um it's been really it's been really cool because it's not like it wasn't the experience that you expect right whenever i used to listen to podcasts i used to like i would i would send in a question just to try to hear my name read out on the show because i thought that would be really cool you know all the people listening and and that has not been my experience with the community at all. I've grown so close to so many of the community members from Legends Cast. Unlike anything that I could have thought would happen, I just it 
has it in it that in and of itself has changed my life but it is stuff like the sacrifice of formula um spending his time developing a bot specifically for our channel specifically for our league um that i never would have expected would have happened and and but to be honest with you never would have thought of ever ever would have thought of um but but he did it and so thank you so much and and like once again thank you to all of our community members that are so so cool um okay let's go ahead and work our way out of here and dive into closing thoughts and I thought I was already perfect. Okay, if I'm honest, today I was trying to think of closing thoughts and I forgot to think of closing thoughts pretty much all day. And then I got on the show and I was like, oh my goodness, I have to come up with a closing thought to think of. And here's, mm -hmm. here's the reality. Okay. I, I don't have one. And sometimes it's okay not to be able to do everything that you were set out to do in a day. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you have a to-do list and you're a slave to that to-do list like I am and you're trying to work your way through it and to the best of your ability, no matter what you do, you cannot get everything done. And today was one of those days where I worked from eight o'clock in the morning until basically dinner, I came back down and I worked till 8.30 at night. I came back down and uh, and went back to work at nine um, and I still did not get everything done. Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you were ambitious, you had a lot to do and you just can't get it all done, man. And that's okay. Sometimes you're gonna go to bed with an unfinished to-do list. That doesn't make you a bad person. Hey, there's a closing thought because I didn't have a closing thought. You like that? You know what you you like, masked it well. I spin that. I spin that you up know, well, you, didn't I? You, you did. You did good, man. Proud of you. Stormbrave good cop out. Stormbrave. You can only do it once. Says good. You, you burned your one opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have done a little extra work today, after all. No, no, no. You know, sometimes you got to play that card. So, <laughs> well, the card the card's been played. Um, uh, yeah. DBN, let's get out of here. How can people find you, my cool. friend? Yeah, best way to find me is going to be through the Discord. I am I've actually been a little more active than usual. Um so it anytime has been, you want to yeah. show me something or just have a idea or a question, just at me. It doesn't annoy me, it doesn't bother me. I usually can get to it relatively quickly within an hour or two. Um and so like, you know, I know a lot of people at least I know myself, like I'm I'm often anytime I'm in a community that's not ours, I'm always hesitant to ping somebody because I don't want to annoy them or I don't want to be disruptive or, you know, anything like that or make them feel like they're obligated to, uh, you know, to respond. But that's not how I feel when people ping me. It's actually kind of exciting. So if you ever have anything you want to share with me, um, whether it's in general or just about life stuff or a question uh, or about obviously Runeterra, I'm always happy to look at it. So that's the best way. You know, it's so funny because you're talking about how, um, you know, the idea of like wanting to get your name read out in chat was like the peak of interaction that you thought of. But it's like, at this point, I'm just excited to hang out with people in our discord. Just like it, it has ceased to feel like the people in our discord are listeners or viewers or consumers and more like they're partners. Mm, yeah, I can agree. You with know, that. and, and the, this project that we, that we do every week. So yeah, I'm always excited to to interact and, and chat with you guys because that's how I view y'all as team team members, you know? 
Absolutely. And if you want to find me, you can also ping me in the Discord. I've actually been less active in the Discord recently because last Wednesday we opened up uh, Lux Digital Church, which is the church that my uh, I, 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 I hate saying I started. We, a group of us, started my wife and I and along, along with a group of people. So I've been spending a lot of time online um, in that Discord. But the point is, is that I'm at my computer pretty much all day, every day right now. And so if you want to message me, like I'm always there and I'm always ready to listen um, and I'm always ready to respond. So just ping me if you're like oh i wish mark would see this or i wish mark would you know share his opinion just like hit like just at the lift right in there and just message me um i have no problem with that and i'm, I'm literally on discord all day um so and i love interacting with the community i just have not been able to keep up with the amount of content that's been going through our discord recently because there has been so much conversation about runeterra and life in general in our discord i have not been able to keep up with it and so i apologize for that um you can also find me every monday wednesday friday from 8 until 11 a.m est over at twitch.tv slash the lift i stream uh just chatting for about 30 minutes to an hour um we do a question of the day every day um that i stream and then after that we go play lor we play expeditions on my stream um it's a lot of fun you get a chance to vote or talk about what you think the plays should be um but mostly it's just me hanging out with the chat and talking about my plays so um would love to have you come hang out with us over there on twitch guys that's gonna do it for this episode of legends cast i want to thank you so much for being such an amazing awesome community i promise next week we will do deck name game and uh that's gonna do it for this episode be sure to come back again next week thanks for listening to legends cast this episode was brought to you by listeners like you don't forget to join our discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts a special thanks goes out to all of our patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legends cast